Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, I am so excited to bring the books we've got for you today. We have a deep dive into the discourse on God Loves Man Kills, expanded edition number two, rounding out our coverage of that title. Then we have a look at the X-Men stake in King in Black. But first up... We have Sword Number 2, which brings yet more X-Men into the King and Black Fury. Rod, Raven, and Robbie are so taken by Sword, and I don't blame them. I am equally blown away by the work Al Ewing and Valerio Schiti are doing each month. This issue brought up a lot of really interesting points about the X-Men's place in a big crossover like this, and just how a number of these characters are going to handle this sort of worldwide nullification situation the team loved it we loved it and we hope you guys love it too hello everyone and welcome to a next segment of x's for pod i am rod you can find me at rod the on twitter and instagram hi i'm raven aka dame red bento and you can find me all over the internets but especially on twitter hey everyone i am robbie and you can find me at age of hilarious on twitter and today we will be talking about sword issue two by Al Ewing is the writer, Valeria Shidi is the artist, Marty Garcia is the color artist, and VCs Ariam Mayer is the letter and production of this book. Now, with this book, this is the second issue of this amazing series so far. We all love the first issue. Now, the second issue, we are starting in a new event called King in Black. And that makes sense for Sword because Sword is the protector protector of the solar system, especially for Earth. And Noel is wants to destroy everything, so it makes sense for them to have a tie-in for this event. So we go in, and Noel has covered the Earth with slime, <laughs> and the Sword can't contact. Um, the earth anymore except for the Krakoan gates and those are still working so I really found that interesting it's like mutants can bypass basically anything now and I thought that was pretty impressive Raven I mean, what yeah, do you think they're of still so they're still having some issues bypassing but they have a little bit of an in there so it it makes sense because the Krakoan gates are able to uh, screen people out like uh, normal humans can't pass through the gates mutants can on the other hand Uh so i guess there's some level of advancement in in their making so it makes sense that yeah you'd still have some access through them but i do remember them saying it's it's a little bit difficult a little bit touch and go so oh god i oh i love this i love this issue it was very interesting to me to see sword kind of like yeah we're up and running holy crap it's all just okay fine into it jumping into it because usually uh with events you know you have to take 
you know, like a month or two across several titles to kind of set it up. And, you know, there seems to be a, a passage of time. And instead, this just feels like you get thrown directly into the action. It's kind of wonderful like that. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people were very hesitant when um, Sword was announced to be a tie-in for King and Black or was going to have King and Black, you know, aspects into it only on the second issue. And they're like, no, give the book time to breathe. But I'm like, it fits so well. And Al Ewing interworks it so much because we still see, you know, their main mission is to, you know, try to get Noel away from the Earth, obviously. They're like, protect the Earth, etc. But we still get key points of like character growth with each character that's in it like we get mm-hmm. an amazing scene with whiz kid we get this new character that we haven't seen in a while mentalo is that how you say mm-hmm. it I mentalo mentalo now i i haven't seen him before i know he's an ex you know oldie but goodie yeah. <laughs> but i haven't like, he's from the way back files in the yeah. way back files <laughs> but i'm glad they don't make us like the one thing i like about this book so far even though it's only two issues in is that they don't make us feel like we're out of sorts for not knowing this character like they give us enough background where we don't feel lost we're like oh so he's kind of a douche but he's (laughs) useful so that's good that's all we need to know (laughs) yeah i I do like the fact that they give you a a bit of you know background like in the quickest way possible and and you're like oh okay i know where this person stands or at least i have a pretty good idea for this person's stance they definitely did that with him you know and that's really nice because like with some books if they introduce like an older character sometimes Mm -hmm. i'm like oh well let me go and uh google some shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly (laughs) with this i mean yeah i'll still probably end up doing like a bit of research but i don't feel the actual need to have to like do that as mm-hmm. quickly yeah just to understand the character it's like oh yeah okay yeah because yeah some, sometimes it's just like we're just gonna hint at what this character has done mm-hmm. and some of the background and whatnot but we're not gonna tell you but everybody's gonna be weird about it and so <laughs> yeah just tell me so i know so i don't have to go google something in the middle of the book right and can we discuss like the first page of this book is this sword gloriously like in the in the atmosphere above you know the nullified earth and just Mm -hmm. abigail is just in her floaty chair with that suit (laughs) just like doing her shit like she looks so fabulous i love that (laughs) i i just love that and what I really love about her character, like in particular with this issue, is that she's the type of person where she has plans for like fucking at anything. Mm-hmm. And it's great that she has so many different protocols on like what would happen in a certain case. Absolutely. Like with right. Protocol 5 that we see later. Right. Mm-hmm. She's got backups upon backups upon backups for everything she's going to do. And like she's actually thought everything out. She's, she's like, really good at strategy and planning and it's funny because when i first saw her i'm like okay this is gonna be the executive person i'm not gonna like her i know she's she's gonna be necessary and i'm just like damn it she's good i i can't be mad at her and that's like so hard to like comprehend like planning mm -hmm. that far out in advance for different situations Mm -hmm. like i can't imagine coming up with a full-scale plan on if all superheroes would die in the planet <laughs> right <laughs> now i've i've liked abigail Brantford so i mean for ever since she made her first appearance and 
she's been such such a badass. She's basically like the Nick Fury or Maria Hill of space. And <laughs> like you you kind of like yeah. don't like them because they're so arrogant, but then you like them because they're so arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cuz she's she's competent at her job, mm-hmm. which I mean, sometimes you get these these characters who are supposed to be in charge and you're like, "Oh, you're just a douche and you're not good at what you do." She's good at what she does. Mm-hmm. Like, and she understands that yes, sometimes she's working with people who are not good people so she knows how short to keep that leash or to give him room to run and hang himself with it so yeah she's she's good she's really good at what she does so yeah i i actually i enjoy her all right i one one more thing on this one page i just noticed with in abigail's little office i didn't know that she basically had like a moat around her little <laughs> office area like it's it's water there's those lilies and everything that mm-hmm. valero she, she's art is fucking spectacular like <laughs> yes. oh, i love that blend of technology and organic that they've done with sword it's so gorgeous it's oh. yeah beyond gorgeous oh, and then it. the next page we get Matello on the toilet <laughs> <laughs> which could be somebody else's type of gorgeous you know we all have types <laughs> um he does he has nice legs so <laughs> you know the helmet is cool so but this is our first introduction kind of to this character i mean on the first page we get like a little hint of his helmet it's like oh who is that but then it's like bam this is who he is this is this is basically the definition of his character i feel like i feel like they did this on mm-hmm. purpose like this is who he is oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i honestly there was there's no better way to explain his character than than that shot you're like okay um yeah we know who he is <laughs> We've seen him laid bare, as it were. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And oh. I like that we get the little note on why Abigail is using him. Because mm-hmm. basically she can't trust any other telepath. Because mm-hmm. no other telepath will listen to her. Because why would they? Like, you think yeah. Emma or the Cuckoos are going to listen to her? Or Rachel? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she needs somebody just just strong enough that they can do the job. But just uh, flexible enough that they can take orders without like giving her back talk. Mm-hmm. Basically. Definitely, definitely agree with that. And I... What are y'all opinions on um, Frenzy on the next page? I love that she's like basically becoming like the liaison between mm-hmm. more like quote unquote alien folk and Earth slash Sword. I I love it. I love it because she's not she's not just the big bruiser. She's not just you know hit it and make it go dead. <laughs> she's yeah. she's diplomatic and she you know she actually talks and interacts and learns about other cultures and you know like there's this whole interaction and nuance to her that you might not have seen before. So I'm 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 so loving it. I'm falling in love with this book and I oh I can't even believe it. <laughs> yeah, I really love that position for her and like you know like every time I see her I just get like little flashbacks of reading X-Men Legacy mm-hmm. and I just I because that's where I fell in love with her character and I it's such a it's a really good growth to see her take this role mm-hmm. during then she was kind of really trying to find like her own type of like role in the X-Men mm-hmm. so now she you know she's able to find that and then now and she fits it perfectly because she's not afraid to really get her point across or something anything <laughs> yeah. and i'm glad that we get like uh, like 
a black woman that isn't just in the background that actually has yeah. importance that isn't just angry that mm-hmm. is knowledgeable and probably actually one of the kindest people actually on the ship because yeah. <laughs> everybody else is kind of just like up their own butt kind of in like a good way <laughs> but still they're still doing that and and she's like you know what guys we need to work together because if we don't then it's gonna happen like all the other times so right oh she's yeah she's she's so good she's so cool i love i love this character and i mean she she brings in um pybok right the the super scroll the powered scroll it's a power scroll so i don't remember what that entails i'm this i'm this cosmic guy and i do not remember that's a shame on me (laughs) but it's not the same as a super scroll because super scroll is like more they have more like earth-based powers in a sense because Mm -hmm. they took a lot of the the powers of earth and like terraformed it into themselves but yes power scroll is definitely like more he's like kind of like like the right hand man of the right hand man (laughs) (laughs) that's why he's reporting to like hulkling which Mm -hmm. is you know the emperor of space now basically which is awesome (laughs) but yeah i'm glad they're having that liaison and i'm glad that abigail knows like hey if we show them that Mm -hmm. we can defeat noel and save the earth then that makes us look better in hulkling's eyes (laughs) which we need (laughs) but if you remember the end of empire which gave a sneak peek of sword we see in the future that sword comes to help hulkling when all his team is basically defeated on some kind of planet so Mm -hmm. we know that they're gonna get some you know good positive comeuppance (laughs) in hulkling's eyes for saving him soon so that's all coming together on the next page see this is what i love about this book all ewing is really good about this giving each character like their own little second to really show off their talents and really like appreciate the character because he also does that in guardians and immortal hulk as well but so he's really good at writing like the cosmic sci-fi type things and i love that a whiz kid who we haven't really had anything with except for the last issue in Inferno. We get more into his character and he's just like, I don't have time to deal with these, what do you say, latex space dragons taking <laughs> elsewhere and like shoots them with a big laser. I was like, my jaw dropped to the floor, y'all. Right. <laughs> None of this, oh, let's see if we can capture it. It's like, oh, no, I don't have time for this. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, dang. Okay. Dang. <laughs> he did not waste time oh but yeah it was it was nice it is nice that that ewing is able to like give us these kind of snapshots of characters and it's oh i I can't even say enough about this book but it's great that they can give these snapshots of these characters and you kind of get a feel for them even in a very quick pace or even like just a page worth but you still get to know so much about them exactly i definitely agree with that and then just valerio's art with this again I mean, I could have the shot of them shooting down the latex dragon (laughs) just on my in my house framed like that is. Yeah, like who knew uh, shooting a giant asshole in a dragon could look that beautiful. (laughs) Right? oh my god oh god they, yeah the just the art and the storytelling and you know me i'm hard on comics i will talk about pacing all day and be grumbly about it the pacing on this is so quick but well done mm-hmm. that i'm just i'm just uh, i I'm, I'm just engrossed in the book in a matter of like moments i'm just like oh okay what happens next oh this is so good like oh 
I love it. Oh, oh yeah, I definitely have to agree. Like it, it. I love that it's it's fast paced because yes, a thing is like took the earth whole. It's emergency, mm-hmm. but also they give them time to like talk and kind mm-hmm. of argue and do little quips. And I'm like, e, I like it. <laughs> I like that when characters do that. Right. Like especially on the next page when we see random like making mm. fun of <laughs> making fun of um. Man, oh, I can't remember. Mattello. Mattello. That see, I don't. I, they need to change his name. I don't like that. It's <laughs> <laughs> hard to remember, <laughs> but but making fun of Mattello, I'm like, oh yay, we get more of random. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, oh, they did such a good job on that. Like we we we've seen these characters in the background, but now we're actually getting some time with some maybe lesser known characters or characters that not everybody's gonna know because not everybody read comics in the 80s 90s early 2000s Mm -hmm. that's very true (laughs) but yeah it's great that they set up this this little team to kind of see if they can do a quick run and basically uh uh, save mutant kind and possibly the world by grabbing uh very needed personnel from krakoa oh they did such a good job i mean it really shows just how expansive of the mutants yeah. are like this book does and just how mm-hmm. how great they can be coming together mm-hmm. and i just have to say i thought x factors costumes were glorious and they are they still are right. but the costumes for sword like mm-hmm. i need those ja- those hoodies Yo, okay? oh my god yeah those jackets <laughs> are top tier i would buy oh. that shit in a second i would like easily if, drop a couple hundred yeah listen <laughs> if i had those sewing skills at those cosplay had it would be over oh, shit. <laughs> oh my god oh i love the clothing i love the art i love the story i love the everything yeah the designs <laughs> are phenomenal like i just yeah. like they're just so great like i i just wish that i could keep seeing more and more mutants mm-hmm. get different designs and outfits <laughs> yeah like these oh, right but yes let's let's i guess sort of take the action to where it needs to go <laughs> Oh my god, I still I still can't believe like oh when they jump down to the surface. Oh yeah. Oh uh, like, my god. That is amazing. Like this we see full on Banshee and Magneto and then oh, like okay, so I've been wanting to see Sunfire on Same. Krakoa for a like ever since that it got announced cuz I'm like where does mm-hmm. he, you know, where does his alliance stand cuz you know, he's protector mm-hmm. of his country. He's like his country's main superhero um mm-hmm. don't really see anybody else over there because marvel doesn't really show us anybody else um but <laughs> like i didn't know if he was like okay with krakoa or ever came there because we've never seen him but now we get this like fantastic scene with him and this glorious like fighting style like in my, in my comics i don't always need punchy punchy fighty fighty scenes but when we do get mm-hmm. them and they're as beautiful as these ugh. oh my god i absolutely love this like my my voice sunfire like i just like like you rarely like we 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 rarely ever see him 
like uh-huh. ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just these like couple pages was just everything. Like like I would be very happy to continue seeing him. Mm-hmm. And like you said, even like the little like punchy punchy scenes, the way his body is drawn and like it's so dynamic. Different. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not like a simple like okay, let me just punch the little dragon in the face. Well, big dragon. Let me punch the biggest <laughs> dragon in the face. Big dragon. It's it's drawn in a way where it shows how different his fighting style is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, definitely. It's so it's so dynamic, and it it feels like it's in motion. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't feel static. It just you could almost feel yourself like flying through the air with him. Oh and yeah. It's it's so great because you feel almost like you're in the comic book which that's hard to do yeah but they do it so well and oh my god when he got hurt oh my god my heart just jumped no i know i know right like i just felt like in that moment i feel like we were watching an animated movie and then like a climactic park happened and i was like oh my god no 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 save him save him save him we just got him we just got our sunfire baby back please And and it's just so funny how he's just like barely fucking conscious and he's like i can still fight <laughs> right? he's like i got this y'all i got this they're like this ain't uh, nothing <laughs> they're like uh dude both your legs are broken i got it i got it i'm like damn dude and like it wasn't core. just yeah it wasn't it wasn't a like a comedic oh i've got this it was like no he deep you could feel that he believed it was like he still had this yeah still got this it's like oh my god dude seriously and then you get to see Fabian Cortez do his thing. You're like, oh, deal with the devil. <laughs> That's one of the things I love, like I said about Al Ewing. We get these moments with these characters and we finally get to see what Fabian can do. I mean, I said finally, mm-hmm. it's only issue two. But <laughs> so, like, we get to see it and it's, oh, the, the colors on this just, oh, man, who, the colorist, Marty Garcia. Oh, he's, they mm-hmm. are just fucking fabulous like ah just like Valerio's art is gorgeous too but them working together just it makes this book just a plus 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 yeah but (laughs) did anyone (laughs) when Fabian is with right next to Sunfire I was like ooh they're gonna kiss (laughs) ah you're just hoping it's like oh he's making he's making a deal with the devil right like oh but it's it was so good and like that in that little impassioned like speech it was so beautifully poetic mm-hmm. and so slightly dark i'm just like yeah. oh this isn't oh this is bad but this is good but this is bad but this is so good and Beautiful i just coincide yeah oh yeah <laughs> go ahead robbie what you oh, gonna i was say? gonna say uh with the phrase be the kirkoan son um mm. that it just like that's probably my favorite line of the whole issue because it's just mm. so there's there's just so many different ways that you could kind of like view that Mm -hmm. and i really love that yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was really beautiful for for this to be the first time we see sunspot and krakoa and for him to have this i mean sunspire oh wrong wrong person of color (laughs) um 
Sunfire to see like this is his first appearance on Krakoa and to have it be so glorious, especially the next page when he shoots out of the dragon. And this is another page, this whole page, maybe not Fabian's face smiling, maybe cut that off. But like <laughs> like the re- oh, that- no, no, you need that. <laughs> but like all of it just frame again, framed in my house so I can look at it over and over again. Cause like this is how powerful the mutants can be together. Like this is glorious. Mm-hmm. Well, I the reason I love Fabian Cortez's face because I I hate him, but I love him. <laughs> but I hate him, but I love him. But I hate him because he's he, he is basically Mes- Mephistopheles. He is the devil, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And you could see him like planning and talking to Magneto about what can be done. And you could see people kind of around him going, "Oh God, he's up to it again." What uh, what are we gonna have to deal with later on? Because he, on his own, is not like an exceedingly powerful mutant. His entire ability is to boost others, basically. But, like, he knows how to work a system, and he knows how to uh, garner favors and power uh, from behind the scenes. And he becomes a puppet master in, in many ways. And it's like, oh, you're evil, but you're so needed, but you're so evil. And I love watching that nuanced interplay from behind the scenes. Oh, definitely, definitely. I definitely agree with that. that and I like that going more on Fabian that the next page we get more of Abigail's personal notes which I love this mm-hmm. I love the data pages but mm-hmm. the fact that we get Abigail Brand's personal notes I'm like ugh give me more so <laughs> like we basically I love how we get to get to see into her mind and she explains why she picked these people because mm-hmm. you know no one else is using them and they're kind of easily manipulated because they're so selfish mm-hmm. and they have good power that she can use for you know sword zone benefit one thing that i really noticed on here that i've always thought like hey if you're married to a human or like you know have a relationship with a human and they did die Mm -hmm. would you have a problem with it coming to kokoa and everybody else is coming back to life and you're like well can i have my person back and they Mm -hmm. address this and they're like well no we can't with noland they're like we can't bring your wife back because she's human Mm -hmm. and he's not willing to work with kokoa because of that and i was like that Mm -hmm. that i'm glad that they touch on that yeah yeah they don't make it cut and dry like oh yeah well you know if you're here on Krakoa of course we can bring them with I like the fact that they do make some hard decisions and they do muddy the waters a little bit and you're not just oh yeah this is you know if, if you're alive and you're here on Krakoa of course we'll bring your your human companion with like uh-huh. no they 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 make it rough they make it the you know no sorry we can only bring back mutants well fine screw you I'm not gonna work with you because you you won't bring back the love of my life I'm like uh-huh. oh, damn oh that's that's rough but i like i like that it's not so easily you know put a band-aid on it and move it around exactly exactly and i don't even know if they can bring back humans honestly Hmm. like i don't we haven't really touched on that maybe leah williams will in x factor Mm -hmm. but if they can bring back humans and that opens up a whole new can of worms (laughs) i can't even imagine yeah that's just like that's just way too much I'm curious to see who who's the person they blacked out though. I'm like, are we ever gonna know? Are they yeah, gonna tell us? Yeah, you know, I thought it was really interesting how they put that word snark war in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I think I think there was a pronoun she, so we know it's probably a woman. Mm-hmm. Which hey, the best mutants are women, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I'm not going to debate that. So. <laughs> Raven's like, hell yeah, they are. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, Storm, Frost. I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And I love on the next page that, because I, I love the, the, the five on the next page, because I've been thinking in my head, hey, the five were heroes. They would want mm-hmm. to help. And Al Ewing addresses that. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, they're like, hey, we want to help. And they're like, but Hope's like, no, we, we're like the cornerstone of this society. If we die, what happens? <laughs> like, we can't go out and do that, you guys. Like, come on. Yeah, that and, and that was that was perfect because I was just like, yeah, they would want to go out and help. But yeah, at the same time, if they if they go out and they get injured, who brings everybody back? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like, oh, that's that sucks. And you could you could tell like they were just like semi dejected and and just like oh but we want to help but we can't because oh <laughs> like you could tell there was conflict which was really wonderful that there was conflict over it and not just the well i'm just gonna go out and help anyways it's like oh no you're right we are the cornerstone we are what keeps this society running so for now we have to be here exactly and i love the big tank that he comes <laughs> <laughs> mentalo <laughs> comes it's like boom bitches oh. i am here <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, the think tank. Uh, Robbie, what do you think about the big tank coming to save the five? <laughs> I, again, like that tank that was like designed and everything. Uh, well, first <laughs> off, I think it's funny that it's called a think tank. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, out of all the fucking names, like he could have just been like, all right, y'all, here's it, you know, I'm here with my tank. But he, he went out of his way to come up with the name. Like, it was like, you know, mm-hmm. Classic comics, like I don't know when Thanos had a Thanos copter or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mentalo. Oh my god! Yeah, that that was you know Hal was probably giggling, probably typing that up (laughs) while writing this. Yes, I mean Mentalo strikes me as like the dad joke kind of guy. I mean he is older. Yeah, you know he's probably doesn't have the most advanced sense of humor. So he's going to be like, this is my think tank guys. Get it? Because I'm telepathic. (laughs) 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 And what I like about, you know, a scene like this is that I really don't know if like, you know, depending on the writer, like if a different writer was writing Mentalo, if we would really get to see comedic sides like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Al Ewing is... I, I, I can't talk enough good things about Al Ewing. Yeah. He, he's just a fantastic writer. I love so much of his work, and he's definitely going to go down as one of the probably the best writers of this like mm-hmm. time period. Yeah, um, yeah, I, work. And I love that I he's that. exactly. I'm I'm gl- so glad that he's that they got him on to Krakoa, like <laughs> that part of the X team. I was really hoping that he was going to be a part of it because I was like, oh, he's doing so good with Immortal Hulk. He's on mm-hmm. Guardians now. I was like, bring him. Oh, over to the mutants please <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah like oh he's, he's doing such a such a superb job and honestly it, it's fun because you can have a good quip and you can have a great quip but sometimes when you like especially with the old school jokes if you don't land it in the right place at the right time it doesn't land well this landed so well like i'm just i was holding my breath for so long in the previous pages to have that roll in i'm like <laughs> it made me breathe it made me take that second to breathe before they went back to the to the hard action 
Russian, which was great. So yeah. right, I, uh, I chuckled. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next page when we get Magneto and Fabian, mm-hmm. and I love that the dragon is dead and Krakoa was basically absorbing it. Like that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fabian's like, you remember me now, Lord? And I'm like, stop calling him Lord. Calm down. But. <laughs> My my favorite part of all that is just like frenzy being like, oh great, here we go again. Ugh, he's causing trouble. <laughs> yeah. Which I really do like that, especially like in when you look at like in context that frenzy was originally a villain, mm-hmm. and so it kind of it's you know I I really like that they chose her character for us to kind of see that through mm-hmm. through yeah. like her lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and since she was a villain to kind of begin with, she she knows some of the ins and outs of villainy, and she knows that Fabian Cortez is not a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Not a good guy. So yeah, she's she picks up on what he's doing real quick. Like, mm, this is not going to go well for us if he gets his hooks in. Oh no! But, but at the same time, he's trying to talk Magneto into <laughs> shit, and like Magneto is is always very cautious and he knows his shit oh yeah magneto's not dumb that's why he ignored him at first like mm-hmm. it, magneto bef- like a few years back maybe would be more coerced and people eating up his ego but mm-hmm. now i think he's like you know more level way more level-headed now has mm-hmm. way more, bigger priorities taking care of krakoa so he's like yeah yeah fabian i see you i'll recognize you i'll you know feed into your little ego but mm-hmm. we ain't we ain't doing no crazy shit for you like calm down right <laughs> which is fabulous wonderful oh, love it <laughs> and i love on the next page when friend like friends like y'all said frenzy is like you know like all his other portrayals weren't and then she gets cut off and i'm like and it's the noel voices and i'm like oh i'm like oh shit oh shit he, he's going through the portal i was like oh no <laughs> oh god oh god oh god even even on krakoa they aren't safe Mm -mm. like even like he the fact that they can hear him now it's like oh crap well and was it a mistake for krakoa to absorb that dragon see um mm, that i feel like that's Huh. Yeah, I feel like that's gonna have something. If not, it might not be, but I think it should be be something because then I f- I feel like Noel could get into the system of Krakoa, right. and can you imagine the island of Krakoa being nullified? Like, oh my heart! <laughs> oh, that'd be scary as hell. Oh yeah. If like I can't imagine like at all, like uh, how would like Cipher react to that? <laughs> oh God! Oh, yeah, God. yeah, right. It's just it's it's so many variables because like right. Noel said, he can see him through his dead dragon's eyes. He's still connected to the mm-hmm. being, even though it's technically dead. Mm-hmm. And then we get this final like splash pagey moment of nullified cable, and I'm just like, oh, it's beautiful <laughs> it's very beautiful like i would love that as a little funko pop list mm-hmm. yes <laughs> oh you I know need... they're gonna do a funko line of nulled oh, yeah I, I hope so i need first of all i need null as a funko pop and then i need <laughs> nullified <laughs> but yeah 
I just I know I know King and Black's not everyone's favorite, but I just love the the villain Noel so much from what I've read of him so far. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we get him interacting with the mutants like this so like devilishly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then talking through cable, uh, I just mm, it yeah. it just feeds on my oats. <laughs> well, and I was wondering where cable was like this entire time. I'm like, I swear he was on sword, but I knew he was off doing other business. Like, what's going on? Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, so and in King and Black number one, Cable is part of the the response team that mm-hmm. Krakoa sends out to help mm-hmm. uh, New York. So it's like Storm, um, Jean, Cyclops, Cable, Wolverine, yeah. Wolverine. Magneto was there too, but I guess he escaped. I mean, that's that's. I mean, I, I kind of see that he has like yeah. magnetism force field or whatever. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but... Well, he can do. Yeah, he can do. He's an Omega level, so there is a lot that he can do mm-hmm. in the physical realm to like throw up shields and blocks and whatnot. And, but yeah, it was like, oh shit, like oh shit. <laughs> Like, <laughs> right. I didn't. I don't. I don't know what else to say other than oh shit. I know <laughs> shit is hitting the fan. Like Pable is already like pretty powerful character. Obviously, like we know that. Mm-hmm. But with him increased strength by being nullified, like how are they gonna they don't have any psychics with them right now i guess they well no they don't they don't have any psychics with them right now so like they don't have yeah no like i was gonna i was gonna say mentolo but i'm pretty sure he would just crap himself (laughs) probably and he's with the five right now so yeah i don't know we will i think next next um issue we will get to see frenzy probably fight him which will be fun because we haven't really seen frenzy fight I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, it's gonna be so good. Like, I can't wait for the next issue. Oh yeah. So, Raven, what are your final thoughts on Sword? Uh, it, it was so wonderfully set up, and then this this second issue, you're just like, boom, you're right into the action. I'm I'm so invested in this. I'm so invested in this, and that rarely happens with like new titles for me. But oh, it's so good. The art, the story, the character design, the everything like this is an a plus plus job guys thank you oh definitely robbie what are your final thoughts i loved dm near every page (laughs) 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 like there wasn't really a a page that or even like a panel that felt like out of place or anything like it all Mm -hmm. is carefully constructed and nicely paced which Mm -hmm. is hard to do and you get so many different moments that showcase a different character and like Mm -hmm. why they play you know an important role to the team and why they were picked Mm -hmm. Uh and i would say my highlights overall was the part with sunfire Uh and just literally every interaction with frenzy (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i definitely definitely agree with that i (laughs) i like y'all said i give this book a plus 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 like this is only the second issue y'all and i feel like i've read so much like this book was only mm-hmm. 23 pages long and really? I, I know i felt like i read like a whole trade like <laughs> i was like how I, I just looked at it i was like this is only 23 pages how i don't understand <laughs> and that includes like the title page so oh dude i thought this was like a 32 pager easily right i, I didn't even realize <laughs> 
like uh, I just love the the combination of the writer and the artist just working together. This is mm-hmm. a prime example of when you have great artistry and writers working together, really formulating ideas. Because we know the you know Valerio designed the costumes with. I mean, obviously Al Ewing had input, but you know they worked together with that, and yeah. they had these new designs with the characters because a lot of the characters look different. Like Manifold looks different, Frenzy looks different, Abigail looks different so than what they used to look like mm-hmm. for the most part and it just shows that mm-hmm. when you have a good team working together you can have a fantastic book that feels like already so much information and we're only two issues in yeah absolutely so i'm so excited for the third book i'm like how can what else can they do i'm ex- i'm excited <laughs> yeah. we aren't yeah. even in with the plot of swords yet the plot is that that thing they found <laughs> last time <laughs> so I mean, I mean it has a plot it definitely has a plot but it's like it's it's very much still tied with the world oh yeah yeah like i can't wait to see when they get to go like into other galaxies in space but it's like oh i'm just i'm hanging on everything that they do yeah like uh, you could tell that this is gonna be one of those rare books where Mm. it'll kind of like nicely be like keep building and building and building to like 30 issues in and then it hits no and then we're in it (laughs) well i mean with that reign of x teaser storm is holding that thing they found mm-hmm. um in the first issue i'm like is storm gonna join the cast of sword because mm-hmm. we know that she's leaving our marauders with this week's marauders she said that she's leaving it spoilers sorry if you haven't read it mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> that or that cube is gonna somehow play into the next giant crossover mm-hmm. i could definitely see that as well mm-hmm. because they definitely weren't supposed to take that so <laughs> oh no no. Yeah, that was Not a big no no. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we all loved it. I know we all can't wait for the second issue. And man, I'm just I'm so excited that it just tied in so well with the event because sometimes books don't do that. And I'm just glad that it did. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, thank y'all for joining us with our coverage of Sword. And I hope if you haven't read it, definitely go read it. Because <laughs> hope we convince you to read it because it is glorious. And I think it's a book everyone can love in some type of way. Yeah, definitely worth the buy. Hey everybody, Nico here again, and this next piece is one of my favorites. Nathan and I assembled an amazing team featuring regular contributor Rod and new contributors Tori and Blake, and the five of us got together and did an amazing two-hour session of videos on the discourse on God Loves, Man Kills, most notably the expanded edition that was released in 2020. Now, this is part of a much larger series of videos that you can find over on our new Exes for Podcast YouTube right this minute. So I definitely recommend checking those out. Here, though, we have a 30-minute clip, the second 30-minute clip we pulled from this two-hour session where you guys can get an idea of just how deep we got into this material and just how powerful this work remains. Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson created a story for the X-Men that while it does have flaws and certainly they are not beyond discussing, the overall importance of this piece is so great and grand, not just to the X-Men, but what it represents. We loved being able to make this and we hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And yes, I do the fingers whether or not there's a camera. I am joined again by an amazing array of talent. Everybody introduce yourselves. 
Hi, I'm Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamada on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Nathan. You can find me online at uh, Dazzler AOA at Twitter and Instagram. I'm Blake. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BTMorgan85. I'm Tori. You can find me at Tori underscore Sheehan on Twitter and maybe on at SM Tori on Instagram. But I'm intensely private, so you probably won't get me there. Today, we're going to talk about one of the stories that made me who I am. God loves, man kills. Now, in 1982, Marvel released the second mutant-centered Marvel graphic novel. This one, volume number five, would feature the X-Men as opposed to their young protégés, the New Mutants. Marvel graphic novel number five, God Loves, Man Kills, saw a re-release in 2020 in a two-issue format. Now, in the first part of this video, we've already covered the extended edition part one, which runs roughly a little less than the first half of the book. We've discussed some of the origins and some of the more complicated things about this story, but I would love to get your guys' reactions halfway through this book. You know, I, out of nowhere, uh, kind of harangued three of you into this. You know, Nathan sits there and is like, okay, Nico, please calm down. Which X-Men story do you want to cover next? Please calm down. And I'm like, all of them! And like, you know, I get my mindset on one and we do it. And so I'm like, Tori, you know, Rod, I think uh, Nathan hit up Rod and I was like, Blake, okay, we're all going to read this. We're all going to do this, okay? It's what we're going to be doing. And for me, this is like top five X-Men stories of all time. How do you guys feel halfway through this narrative that was always originally meant to be read in one sitting? It was one book and there was four months between editions of the new one how do you guys feel halfway through i i don't i i think it hurts the book yeah it does um this is a book that definitely needs to be read all the way through there needs to be no breaks um to fully to fully internalize it and enjoy it for what it is because it is a really like good but also rough definition of what the x-men are and what they continue to be or try to be you know but breaking it up just it loses magic that way i agree agree. i definitely agree and we're going to talk about how like specifically breaking it up where it breaks it up i think kills one of the most powerful scenes so bad oh but blake nathan tori you know I, I wanted you guys on this. I wanted Rod on this. I wanted us all to come together and talk about it. I had not read the extended edition, so I kind of didn't know how it would change the story. How do you guys feel about this story in two parts? For me, I think it takes away from the idea of the whole, uh, and it makes it so that I look at it and I go, actually, you you weren't doing the plot specifics for a 60-ish page book. You were just like squishing all your int- all your issues together and pulling out the random cliffhanger that you would normally pull at the end of each one. And this makes it obvious that it's that to me. I think one of the cool things about this book is the parallels that happen. Chasing the kids and then looking at like um, when, when Kitty is being chased through the streets and escapes and then gets kidnapped again. The parallels of we move from this Magneto torture scene yep. right into an even worse torture scene. <laughs> that page turn and that imagery of the cross and the crucifix that's huge man that's because i read the original graphic novel first and then the two extended issues um to see like what was added and how it was different but that page turn uh was really 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 intense very very powerful very scary even and you i don't know if it if it would hit that hard and that's how you're gonna start off this other book like four (laughs) months later like 
you're you're emotionally sort of ready for it when you read this as a graphic novel because it's pulling you so many different ways and you expect it but then you take a four-month breather and you're like you spend five bucks on this comic or four or whatever it was you go home and you you get out your mountain dew and you you take a nice crisp sip and you set it down and then you you, you're like here we go oh xavier's being crucified yeah i don't smoke but i need a cigarette (laughs) yeah that's that's my takeaway too a nice ice cold fresh and I just bathed in the crucifixion. <laughs> That's my takeaway too. Just like it's it, it's great when you're leading up to it, but just to open your second issue on that is like, oh my god, what is this? But yeah. yeah. And that actually brings me to my first point. Now, Blake, you hit a point that I hadn't even considered. By having the Xavier torture on the heels of the Magneto torture, it even juxtaposes the fact that we're like, man, the X-Men are torturing bad news bears over here. But oh my god, they're not even torturing half as bad as they're being tortured at the same time. Moving this apart, I mean, my whole first question was, does this sequence work better for you guys mid-story or at the beginning of the story, you know, opening the second issue? And I think we can all agree this is a better mid-story moment. And it leads me to probably my emotional moment of the issue. Kitty's escape is so overwrought that sort of five, six-page experience Kitty goes through as she attempts to survive the trunk from hell i just i'm so glad she got out of the world's dumbest trunk (laughs) but once she escapes the key element that transforms this story on every level is kitty refuses to abandon the police officer now i recognize that 2020 is a very different world than 1982 not for a number of people but optically speaking and, you know, I'll be honest, I'm a, I'm a probable ACAB kind of person. I'm like, it's probable, right? And so I don't know that I, I don't know that it's necessarily about human life, the sanctity thereof. But in a modern day, where as a gay man, I have been the victim of gay slurs from police officers. I've, you know, literally had police officers call me a faggot, like to my face, like literally. So... That in mind, a lot of my family are in the um, the either the armed services or the police, and it's it's what it is, right? I I don't know that I could look away from somebody needing help like that, even if they are a police officer. Now, what Kitty Pride has been through is more than my brain can even wrap itself around. I would be sitting on the floor, rocking back and forth, chewing on a rock by this point if I were Kitty, and she's still motherfucking trucking. And that's, you know, really the key element here. The sanctity of human life is the number one highest thing for the X-Men. Human life, mutant life, alien life, it doesn't matter. This is the focal point of this story. How does this play out for you guys as the second scene or as the tenth scene, whichever one you see it as? How does this play out for you? Does this drive home the heart of the X-Men? Or is this Kitty Pride just kind of taking the show again? That's what she always does, though. <laughs> she does that a lot. Pride show, but I, I really think it really speaks to, if not the character of the X Men, the character of Kitty, and like everything that she's been taught from Xavier's dream, and that she's so innocent that maybe she hasn't had a chance to see as much of the bad side of humanity and she still when she is confronted with it she still does what she thinks the right thing Mm -hmm. yeah i would say i have two parts first part since this was in made in the 80s i with her protecting the police officer like all the people but more specifically the police officer because he was shot 
um, is to show that you know even the youngest X Men is a good you know even the youngest mutant in the in the group of you know assault team X Men whatever <laughs> is a good person. They're heroes. You know they want to help no matter who they are, and they want to help you know the the true human heroes, which police officers, firefighters, all that stuff. Um, but if this was a new written issue yeah. that was made in like 2020 or 2021, like today, I would say this is more maybe propaganda because <laughs> you're defending a police officer and all that. And you're like, oh, Kitty loves police officers. She's defending, even though it's just defending a person because they're hurt. I feel like in the context of today, if it was made today, instead of just a throwback, it would be more propaganda. But because it was made in the 80s and they were just trying to show this whole story is to show if the X-Men slash mutants are actually heroes or are they actually abominations? And this is a point of the story actually shows that, hey, they're protecting people even though that could get them killed, they're heroes. Yeah, I, I agree with Rod. I, if this was made today, everybody would be like, oh, the X-Men are bootlickers and I'm done with this forever. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I'm always confused what to call her. Like when we talk about old Kitty Pride, do we call her Kitty or do we always call her Kate now? But anyway, so so Kate, yeah. I like how she, she doesn't really try to just, she just holds this cop and is just like, don't kill him it's my fault and i was like wow like that's and she's so young and to like do that it's like you're a fucking hero man like you are a really good x-men which mm-hmm. will yeah. you know which she takes that to to heart you know we, we see her throughout decades be an awesome x-man x-person but i really like that and it, it was it also added to kind of the hopeless vibe that we get throughout most of this but she just is like staring down the barrel of a gun she doesn't know she can phase people out of situations yet you know that hasn't happened yet either and she just holds this cop and is just like i'll die with you and that was really intense like there's a lot of just really crazy moments when you read this the first time and then go back and look at it to try and impress you guys because i'm it's my first time on your pod so like you know i'm like looking at all these scenes thinking all this different stuff and but i mean yeah man when you go back and think about some of these just it's just so powerful And, and in 63 issues in a book that was made in 1980 yes it has its faults but i mean it's still we're we've been we're going to talk about it for two hours today like the five people took two hours out of their day to talk about this book 40 years after it was made and hopefully a lot more people listen um so that's i mean that says a lot <laughs> in and of itself too i would like it if a lot of people listen <laughs> now tori you have a powerfully um well I'm, you are the first person to be loud when your friends are in danger so how did this sequence play out for you, given the gravity of the world we live in? For me, um, this one, I I was I was more taken aback before we got into the subway car. I the the scene in the alleyway was was uh, a product of the times, I guess. And, um, and if you read the extended version, you read the softened. Oh, but you read both, right? You read the I extended read and the original. I read actually, like, I guess this is better. Eh. But I just, it it just becomes very clear that, like, these these fanatics are going to take anyone with them. And it's it's not any, it's, the fanaticism does not stop with actual purity. And so I think that that resonates right now with this 
that with the ideas that we have to deal with today, that there is that it's not just about people who are the whatever bigotry you subscribe to, but also that there are there are people who should be on your side who aren't and that they need to suffer for it, too. And that resonated a lot more with me. Honestly, I think the the cop in the in the subway is one of is just one of those. Well, I agree that I am also an ACAB kind of person. There are a few good eggs in there because the laws of probability say there have to be. And this one ignores the people who say, don't touch her. She's a ghost and and helps anyway. Um, I found I found to be really sweet. I think she's 15. She needs some help. And she's not sure if she actually got through to her friends. I wasn't sure if she got through to her friends. And I mean, that the fact that she's able to get through, which leads to her phenomenal rescue. I actually really like her rescue sequence. It's a great rescue. It's, uh, you know, Magneto coming in as the White Knight, kind of like, because he can be, he could be. This is that first sign of it. And, you know, the idea that this has been milked for every X movie some part of this is every X-Men movie, most notably X-Men 2 and Days of Future Past, both draw heavily on this. And, you know, when I think about classic Magneto stories, I guess I do kind of think about this one, but I also think about X-Men 104, where he, you know, super tries to kill them. And I think about X-Men 150, where um, he super tries to kill them. And I think about things he's going to do after this, like X-Men 1 through 3, Mutant Genesis, uh, Second Genesis, sorry, where the X-Men go to asteroid. They have to fight him in fucking space. He's so crazy. So, Nathan, when you think about Magneto and the bigger picture of the Marvel Universe and what this story – does this – does Saving Kitty in a flying subway car – oh, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, this is in every X-Men movie. Does Saving Kitty in a flying subway car erase 104 and 150 or give him permission to be uh, new X-Men 150 crazy? Okay, first off, I have to say the art when he's uh, picking up the subway car, like the city is so realistic. Like I love just like everything about the panel. But – Back to the actual question. Um, Magneto, I think from 150, he when he almost killed Kate, he realized like what his path was setting him down to. And this is probably the start of his redemption because this is in between um, 150 and Secret Wars. Where oh, your dealing. favorite. <laughs> and he starts dating Wasp for no reason. Right? Like that was a romance out of nowhere. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so this this was in between there. This was his big like step towards seeing things maybe more the way they are, but still set in his old Magneto ways. I very much agree. And I think it, you know, it it really is. It's a tough call, like how to, how to forgive somebody. Do you guys yeah. see Magneto as a hero from this point? Or is it still kind of a, an uphill struggle for you guys? My viewpoint's too polluted. I'm just, I'm too <laughs> used to him being, being sexy daddy Magneto. <laughs> the sexy daddy magneto it, it, it's so hard to get that out of my head and um but i did i did like him in this in this graphic novel um yeah i didn't have i didn't have a problem with it i didn't have a problem not believing he would help these people i was kind of curious why he made them they took the magic carpet ride instead of kurt teleporting this you know gut shot officer <laughs> to a hospital i think uh, bamfing is hard on people and if you're already yeah. wounded i think bamfing is particularly disorienting okay. 
I think it was to not put the officer in shock. I love Nightcrawler too much, and I might just be like, "How can I protect Kurt from getting in trouble?" And like, (laughs) it's a little bit robot. He also looked a little rough from dropping off an assassin at Rikers. So right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, true. Uh, However, speaking of uh, X Men that are looking a little uh, rough. The weaponization of Charles Xavier is one of the creepiest things I've read in a really long time. Uh, It's disturbing and unsettling on several levels. The brainwashing technique, if you kind of think about it, is essentially telepathy. So in that regard, the humans and the purifiers are essentially doing to Xavier what they're accusing Xavier of doing to them, getting into their minds, reprogramming them against their will, turning them against their own, killing off a race. In a lot of ways, it quickly becomes that Xavier is a victim, and it sort of plays back into something else. We have this whole story where Xavier, Storm, and Scott are believed to have died in a car accident, but really they've survived, and now they're being tortured. Not that I'm defending him because he's a piece of shit and he should die. You know, he goes in that like red skull category. But you know, Stryker is kind of the same. Stryker is being tortured. He survived something that, in many ways, he actually didn't come through. He the human being didn't survive that just this hate monster did. And I think the weaponization of Xavier creates an interesting parallel that Stryker actually is projecting the monster that he's become onto mutants rather than seeing an actual monster in mutants. And how do you guys feel about that idea of, of this, you know, weaponized Xavier by a monster? You know, we've seen it in X2 We've seen it done in so many stories over and over again. Does it play out well here, or does weaponized Xavier just kind of sit on the table? I, I really liked weaponized Xavier. I feel like this is one of the high points of the story. I was like, oh, this is what X2 was trying to do. Cool. Yeah. I was wondering where they got that from. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, they did Weapon X, and then they did this weird Xavier thing? That's weird. Um, Brian Singer doesn't have original ideas, so. No. No, no, that's not, no. <laughs> But I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I love the, the artistry of it and, like, the imagery and everything. For a title that says God Love, Man Kills, you know it's going to be, you know, pretty much, quote-unquote, hardcore. But, like, it really showed you that. they He's torturing them so much that they're bleeding through their noses, and he's having all this imagery, and he's talking all these oh, it was so hard to read all these Bible verses (laughs) at him to manipulate him. And I love that, that they show like how manipulative religion can be. And I'm just like, yes, thank you for this conversation that this brings. Thank you, Chris Claremont and everybody else that's involved. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, I I loved how um, like even when Charles is resisting, like eventually in the end, when he goes like when Stryker says they are mutants and Charles is like, but they're my children. And he said, are you worthy, Charles? And Charles is like, yes, kind of just resigned. And he kills his two close, or thinks he kills his two closest companions in the X-Men, Scott and Aurora right now. So it's just, it's really powerful just to see him even fight that brainwashing stuff. Mm-hmm. I very much agree. His fighting the, the brainwashing is actually one of my favorite things in the story in a weird way. I Okay, so when you talk about them as superheroes, they're Xavier and Magneto. But when you talk about them as a gay couple, they're Eric <laughs> and Charles. And yeah. there is something 
so Jonathan Hickman's X-Men about Eric being like, I can tell you that Charles didn't kill them. Instead, he put them to deep, deep sleep. I can tell you this because the helmet and shit. And they'll like, they smell alive, Bob. And everybody's like, oh, cool. Defibrillate them? And Magneto's like, got it? Which is like... Like so, like number one, he looks like Alexis Rose from Shit's Creek. He's just like yes. they're fine, and like <laughs> I can't even. But you know, the modern X Men, the 2020 X Men. If you take a look at Sword, which is one of the most cutting edge, brilliant books out there right now, and all of the positive stuff going on for Sword over in Wandavision, couldn't be happier for the idea of Sword. Well, but if you look at Sword and you look at X Men and you look at New Mutants, there's so much going on about mutant power synergy. And it's so interesting to see that, you know, Claremont started seeding this shit in 1981. But, Tori, you don't read the X Men books like monthly. You don't read, you know, everything Hickman's doing right now. As somebody coming in from the outside, does the X-Men combining powers together like Care Bears work for you? Or are you a little bit like this is a box of Lucky Charms and I'm okay? I mean, I'm I'm used to the idea of superheroes combining their powers to create Captain Planet more often than not. <laughs> but I think it's because moments like this in the 80s that the movies and stuff in the 90s and the aughts and the teens are able to happen. So it feels like this is this is the starter pack on what what can become. So now you guys, you know, they they recently I think it's erroneous. I'm sorry. It's wrong because okay. So recently they said that the fastball special was the first ever combination of mutant abilities and harmony. I have to disagree unless you're trying to tell me that Iceman nor Angel ever carried Scott who then used an optic blast. Unless you're telling me Warren never carried Scott who used an optic blast. I just don't believe you. <laughs> Wait, oh didn't Jean use her like telekinesis to guide people's like Cyclops's like beams before? Didn't Mimic ever have a couple of mutants stand near him to use their powers all at once? So wasn't that a plan to use mutant True. power synergistically? Okay, but see, that didn't have a name. They didn't oh. name it. They didn't name it. Yeah, so it didn't get counted. Branding. It's all about branding. Branding. Yeah, I guess we could say that this is the payoff of the danger room scene. Yeah, of them working together to figure this out. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah, you know, I'd broken this down into pages, right? The actual climax of the story is twelve fucking pages long, which isn't a complaint, but it's pretty long. And I have always thought the climax of God Loves Man Kills is nearly identical to the climax of Days of Future Past in a lot of ways. They're incredibly mm. different, but they're similar enough that the movies have borrowed pieces of both scenes every time they've used either. So, you know, it comes down to that moment where in the haze of battle, Stryker goes, you call that human pointing at Nightcrawler. And I don't want to sound stupid and I don't want anybody to pick on me. OK, because I'm going to say <laughs> something kind of like mutants aren't human. Right? <gasps> like and I, I'm not even being an asshole, but they're not human. We're not asking humans to accept that some of people look different than them. We're asking humans to accept that there's something new, that there's a new idea. And I'm not saying that that powerful moment, the humanity in all of us, God loves man, kills God, man. You know, we're talking about humanity and we're talking about the, the, the sometimes when I get like really emotional, I make Billy Eichner face. Right. But we're talking about the struggle to stay alive. And so we're using human as a stand-in for Hume, anybody who's played, you know, an RPG or Dungeons and Dragons, you have Humes, which kind of like it's human enough 
to make everything kind of work, right? I think there's something almost, this highlights something almost antithetical about the idea of the X-Men within the X-Men, that until Hoxpox, there was no way to address, how do you say the X-Men are human when they're clearly not? Until the days of Krakoa, I don't know. I, I don't think that this was ever really addressed, but the X-Men to me aren't human. How do you guys feel about the crux of these issues argument coming down to a phrase that the X-Men themselves say doesn't apply to them? Yeah, I it was I feel like in a, a lot of pages of the comic books, it's been argued over and over again that the X-Men, they they try to force the, um, the idea that X-Men are human, like the mutants are human. Like they try to do it over and over again, like with Havoc and the Avengers and all this other stuff. It's like, <laughs> we're, we're human, guys, we're human, we're human. And now, like you said, in the with Kokoa and Hoxpox, Don of X, Reign of X, all that, I'm glad that we're finally coming to the realization that was set up in God Loves, Man Kills, that yes, mutants are not human. They evolve from humans, but they're not, there's something more, something better, but something more that needs to be, you know, accepted just like everything else. Like we had the Neanderthals and now you have, you know, humans. And then I think that's the order, right? <laughs> and then you have mutants. So it's like, it's an evolution. <laughs> but isn't it, it, it's more about their humanity than them being yeah. human though, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's about taking the, probably the most, the character with the most humanity, Nightcrawler, who looks the most like a devil and having Mike Pence yell at him. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like the one thing I didn't realize about that panel. So originally, when they did it um, in the original copies, he doesn't have a tail. But when they redid it, he has a tail on it. I did not know that until Twitter told me that. So, yeah, I was like, "Oh, that's a good factoid." But uh, it, it's it's all about these more than human characters still having their humanity and i think that's what the crux of the story is so it kind of comes down to the difference between human and humanity and i think that that is really a powerful powerful argument because i i realized something reading it this time and i'm so happy i'm so proud right i've always thought that the end of this issue was kind of weird because i've always been like storm and cyclops that's a terrible couple <laughs> And now I've come to realize what they're trying to say. Yeah. The story opens with Kitty having an argument about race with Stevie, mm -hmm. a white woman and a black woman having a disagreement over the understanding of inclusion and diversity. And then the ending shows a white man and a black woman having a moment of shared, renewed hope for the future. Mm -hmm. But you forgot to bring up race for 50 pages it doesn't work yep i yes i wholeheartedly agree and as a product of interracial relationships i like interracial relationships or else i wouldn't exist um, <laughs> but <laughs> um i don't first of all i would never want aurora and scott together no. <laughs> oh, no, no, they, no, no, they no, can no. they can be they can be really good friends they can be best friends that's great if they get together i will burn marvel to the ground um but so that's why seeing in the end of this book i was like ew 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 <laughs> and get what they were trying to do even though it was extremely out of the blue that's the most dialogue i think that we get out of storm i mean she does talk throughout you know the series our little you know graphic novel but the most time we see this black it's only basically the only black woman that is a mutant the only black mutant yeah um talk is to scott and then she's hanging all over him and i'm just like uh, <laughs> that's fine i guess 
I, 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 they're coming together and they're a family. I, they, they made Xavier realize the dream is still true. Yay, yay, yay. Happy times. <laughs> and I'm grateful for those happy times, but man, it, it clunked hard for me most of my life until this read through where I finally understood what they were trying to do. And I still kind of feel like I don't get it. Now, you know, Rod, I, and I mean this with, all affection to everyone else. But Rod, you know, your, your words on you know the representation of a black character in a story that is meant to be a racial parallel, or, or you know, kind of like defining. However, I think there's also something to be said for Storm was a woman that was victimized and never given a voice except to say she's grateful that she survived. Tori, yeah. I asked you to come to X-Men and I was like, come join my wonderful X-Men episode. Ooh, woo, woo. And then I was like, by the way, Storm's going to be treated like trash. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was not great. I, I was a little taken aback that we sidelined these major characters who might have something to say. You know, I, I, I feel like I feel like this is just very much a white man's view of what he thinks racism is. I really, really do. Yeah. Like it's like he's like, oh, I understand the Holocaust, so that's gonna get like top billing on on how we he we view this, mm-hmm. and then. Oh, we'll we'll throw in a slur about black people because we know that's bad. And then <laughs> we'll murder a bunch of Hispanics because they look like gang members, so that's okay. And I, 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 my cousin. Yeah, like it's just and then we'll point at the one guy who's obviously like not human to talk about humanity when like the idea of humanity being what makes us human is such like a self-centered like linguistic trick. <laughs> like it it's just it it was like when I was reading Excalibur and saying to and saying to Nico, uh, I don't I don't think that Kurt would be a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'd let him. I don't think they'd let him. So yeah. it, it, was, it felt like it felt like he was like, I have one story to tell. It's gonna be like the Holocaust. We're gonna kill black kids. It's gonna be great, and it's gonna be about mutants instead. And then. And it and it doesn't it doesn't hit the same way forty years later, and the frame doesn't help. Yeah. No. The thing about Charles and Magneto is that I think that that moment where Charles rejects Magneto is the actual payoff of the of the brainwashing scenes. That that's the third time that yeah. it's the exact same thing of come take my hand and Charles like not following. Wow, is, I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think that that is that is the actual payoff of the of the brainwashing scenes. Otherwise, it's sort of like, yeah, well, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, I definitely got that. We needed that scene. That's what really brought it, I think, home to me. And that's what I really would have liked that to be like the last scene rather than the last scene that we got. Mm-hmm. But I agree, brought it home. Oh, um, just one thing real quick. It, it just how powerful it is that Striker when they're in the convention center, is that where they're at? Madison Square Garden, right? Is that where they are? Mm-hmm. When they're yeah. at no. the hate con. I know, when they're, <laughs> at, when they're at hate con. And like, like, just like how it takes a different meaning now when you're reading it and he like actually pushes the lady off the stage and kills her in front of everybody. And like, at least there's repercussions for it. So I'm like, yay. We've gotten some final thoughts from everybody. So Blake, I gotta have yours now, man. <laughs> Otherwise I'm gonna feel sad and lonely here. So Blake, you know, walking away from this story before we can touch on the framing sequence, which we'll get to the framing sequence in a minute. <laughs> but 
how did you feel about the closing of this, Blake? You know, this is like you keep saying, like your program to be like Magneto and Charles are going to keep doing this thing. This is the origin of Magneto and Charles doing the yeah. thing. Yeah. So, like, how do you feel about their love beginning its drier cycle? I didn't know that a lot of this of what happens in this original graphic novel was first instances of you know, like yeah. this was the first time Magneto did sort of a good thing, uh, tortured someone for a good reason. <laughs> And, uh, and you know, this is the first time in, in a long time where they're not rekindling their friendship, but starting, starting to, there, there's dialogue between them, not a battle, basically, right? I'm, I'm trying to imagine torturing for good, and I'm like, this is Guantanamo Gary. Guantanamo <laughs> Gary only goes after the terrorists. Be like Guantanamo Gary, not like Guantanamo Karen. She co-Guantanamanians. Like, I'm trying to imagine torturing for good, and that's where I'm stuck. So, without the framing sequence, I give this story a 9 out of 10. To be, like, totally honest with you, I'm a little I'm a little blind. You know, I want to see what I want to see. But <laughs> without the framing sequence, I give this story a 9 out of 10. I, I have my egregious problems with it, but if they could clean up the stuff that I think is literally culturally ugly, if they could clean up the things that I think are production problems... We would be looking at a 10 out of 10 for me. It's, it's how I feel about the Frank Miller Daredevil saga. If you can find ways to correct the cultural appropriation, I think you're looking at a perfect story. And I think if you add the framing sequence, it's like a 6 out of 10. Like, I'm, I'm barely even kidding. It just becomes this... It You know, sometimes a framing sequence is old lady Rose on the Titanic. And sometimes the framing sequence is the merchant in Agrabah telling you all about this amazing tale of this amazing lamp that, you know, this amazing street rat Aladdin. And mm. it's so powerful that it starts the first movie and ends the third movie. And that's, that's epic to me. Like I even remember as a kid thinking that was cool. Mm -hmm. These bookends are so a white woman talking to a black woman about racism again. Mm -hmm. Get away from the one problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't like that. <laughs> As soon as we cut back to them, they're all sobbing. <laughs> I was like, why are we sobbing? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. The ending wasn't even like crying worthy. Like, yes, how does Kitty know parts of this? Yeah, how does Kitty know parts of it? Like, how does Kitty know that? I guess Magneto talked to her or whatever. Okay, Probably. sure. They okay, talk, they con they all conversed. I, I can let that go. You know, they've been together for years. I can let it go. Fine. But yeah, I can, you know what? I'm fine. <laughs> but I well, I, I just couldn't get past that. Why are we crying? Why are we like not even like a tear? It's Did like we <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, that's not what this story is. No. Even, even when no. Storm, Cyclops, and Xavier die, it's like, oh, yeah, they're dead. They're not dead, but they're dead. Oh, no. I, come on. <laughs> yeah, this would be the kind of story that, like, I would listen to and I'd be like, wow, so we're still there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. I'm I'm madder than I was 10 minutes ago. Thank you for that. Yeah, exactly. To make it even more heavy handed, they have a sentinel show up. Like, and it's a woman sentinel, which yeah. I, 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 there's something so irritating to me about the fact that they kind of pretend that this might touch on some gender issues as well. Like they kind of pretend, mm. but like it doesn't. They don't go anywhere fucking near it. Yeah, and they use 
the fact that they passed the Bechdel test in the second version as a way around actually addressing gender issues in comics, which yeah. is an industry that is so fucking rife with them that it's impossible to – you can literally not walk through a comic convention without seeing a woman be like like trying to cover her body. So like let's not pretend that gender isn't an issue here and let's yeah. not use the fact that it's a woman in the Sentinel suit at the end as a way to not have to deal with gender issues. That doesn't make it better at all. Um, when she retold the story to this black girl, does she tell her that she used the n-word? I hope she just to- faced her mouth out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and what did she say? Are we supposed to believe that? Been good. Oh, I bet, right? I bet she did. She did the white girl like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are we supposed to believe that she said this to this like outspoken young black woman, and the and she didn't say anything back, and and her response to this told stories is crying to Kate. And what was with the ending where Kate's just kind of like, sometimes you walk a lonely road as a mutant cowboy avoiding racisms. It made no sense. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. And this last clip is a sort of state of X for the King in Black. Now, the X-Men have out of nowhere been reintroduced into the bigger picture of the Marvel Universe as part of the Fox remergification. And that means that the X-Men are playing kind of hardball over in the pages of King and Black in a way they haven't really gotten to be part of a number of crossovers. Myself, Jonah, Maddie, Kyle, and Nathan all sit down to talk about what it means that the X-Men are involved in this great nullification process and why it is really exciting, even if it maybe doesn't seem clear exactly what's at stake just yet. As always, we love bringing you guys this content twice a week, every week, and now it's expanded even further. Check out our YouTube channel for great episodes from our past, exciting videos and panels from our present, and keep an eye out for ways you guys can be a part of shaping our future. If you like what you hear, leave a review on Apple, check us out on Patreon, and subscribe to hear more. I've been Nico at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and guys, we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Exit for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you can find me online at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hey, guys, it's Maddie, and as always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. Hey guys, it's Nathan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike majority of the X-Men and the Avengers, who are now symbiotes. Well, I believe the term we're going with, ladies and gentlemen, is they have been nullified, which I have to tell you, the amount of puns that I'm going to continue to make between null and the whole null and void thing. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're here to talk a little bit about King and Black 1 and 2. I'll be honest, I had been a little hesitant to read this title. I had some amount of crossover burnout. I believe everybody in this room read Empire with us, right? Yep. Co- yep. Correct. Yep. So, how did everybody else feel about Empire, the big space epic? It, it felt a little wilted. All those broccoli people. No, but yeah, no. It was, um, it, it did it really do anything? Did it really set up anything else? Did anything change? I mean, it was so long and nothing really happened. I would say the standout 
selection of empire for me was empire x-men i think seeing the entire creative team of the x desk getting a chance to take a crack at the same title was the most engaging part to me but even so that was the most removed piece of continuity from the actual empire event itself and i feel like empire itself was paced very slow now, we're standing at the forefront of King in Black, and it's another space epic, and like I, mean, I think they even teased it in the end of Empire, so I'm not needlessly or anachronistically looking at this past crossover. I'm just kind of trying to indicate that you know we very recently had a crossover. In fact, this crew, this formation, has only really been together for like nine months of coverage, so for us to already be on our second space-based crossover, it's a little close together for like a standard Marvel Universe cycle. And I'm kind of okay with this one. I actually don't mind King in Black so much. And I feel like I can express why in a a pretty concise idea. For the most part, I find that a lot of the bigger Marvel crossovers are three months their time, one month their time, two weeks their time. This seems to be one night. This seems to be one hit, just one blam, a bad day here in the Marvel Universe as Null moves in. I'll be honest, I didn't have too much relationship with the material before this, other than what I'd gleaned through bigger picture Marvel work. Did anybody have an attachment either to the Spider-Verse or the Venom-Verse? So, um, let's see. The last time that I've really had any interaction with symbiotes or Venom or anything like that was all the way back in X-Men Blue when they kind of sent the uh, time-displaced original five into space and they all got infected with symbiotes. And it, honestly, it didn't really click for me. And I wasn't, because because I haven't really been very interested in reading anything Venom-related, I wasn't really looking forward to reading this, but I found myself pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, worse comes to worse, you could say it's painless. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm with you. I had not remembered. I had literally forgotten the O5 got symbioted. The last symbiosisizing I remember happening was when it was like raining symbiotes on the new and mighty Avengers back in the Bendis run. So the last big symbiote action I remember is a decade ago. I really liked Agent Venom over in the pages of Secret Avengers and his own solo series. Now, Jonah, you're kind of like the closest to a Spidey fan, you know, that I have on hand at the ready. And I kind of feel like Venom isn't your spider side. I think I like the concept of Venom more than I like the way Venom is written most of the time. I think, well, here's the thing. Eddie Brock is this big, muscly, beautiful man that I would absolutely love to get to know one day. I love when he falls in the boxers. That's so hot. Oh, what a straight guy wearing boxers in the first place, but then just like falling through the sky in boxers. That's a cute look on you, Eddie Brock. It's a part of my favorite thing is that he's constantly naked under the symbiote, which is kind of it, which makes sense because it's a suit. There are things that Venom does that I do find interesting and I can find interesting. I think it was pretty cool to see him over in the pages of Savage Avengers so, but that's a much more recent story compared to the years of history that this character has. So I'm not entirely familiar with him, nor is he that much of an interest. 
But this story really was like, wow, Venom can be cool if he's written well, which, I mean, can be said about any character in any universe, in any title from any company. But it's different when characters haven't been written well before or haven't been interesting to me before. Now, Maddie, you've played around the Marvel Universe forever. This can't be your first interaction with a symbiote or Venom, but this has to be your first time interacting with Eddie Brock, the superhero that Captain America relies on. That is such a weird, weird (laughs) change from what I knew growing up. How about you? Did you kind of grow up with a little bit more of an anti-hero, Eddie Brock, or were you expecting him to try and eat some people? The majority of my experience with symbiotes is at at a great time displacement in a sense. I I remember reading the original Black Suit Spidey arc from the 80s into the culmination of Venom as its own identity. Uh, And then I didn't read any symbiote story until dabbling around with Agent Venom. So I, my next outside of the animated series of Spider-Man, which gave me probably my most lasting impression of Venom and the ill-fated Tobey Maguire. Topher Grace. Yeah, so definitely not Topher Grace, but I was expecting uh, a little bit of an anti-hero to come out of this. I was not expecting him to be at the beck and call of Captain America as like the plan B man. Was definitely not expecting that. So now that brings me to certainly last but not least and the guy who comes directly before me alphabetically Nathan I you know I know a lot about you I know that you know you are King Dazzler Stan I know that you have a diehard love for karma and I have no idea what you think about thwip and thwip related things what are your thwip thoughts and do you have a voracious desire for venom so like Spider-Man, like the amazing Spider-Man was one of those like titles that like my mom happened to get me as a subscription as a kid. So like I followed a lot of it, like uh, like the intro of Shriek around that era. So like, oh my God, yeah, Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. I love Peter Parker. He's huge. I, and But saying that, I always hated Eddie Brock up until now. Like this, this portrayal of Eddie Brock is something I can get behind. Before he was always too like big bad 90s, like anti-hero, like let's go hang out with the Punisher and Wolverine and kill some stuff. But now I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. This is different. So I've been kind of ready to not really keep up with this on the regular, but perhaps, you know, read the trade or M- uh, Marvel Unlimited when it comes out. But the same way that a number of fans reached out to say, we are the reason they're reading Savage Avengers now, I had the same relationship with listening to Rod and Juan cover this and like the pure joy and happiness they expressed. Even if it's not your story, there is something here to be mined. Now, the two first issues of King and Black by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman see the Avengers at a very dark day. As a matter of fact, it had a lot more visual sort of cues from Daredevil and kind of like street level books than it felt necessarily to have that big grand feel. And it gave it kind of an honest grittiness. Now, I think Null is really silly. Like, I'm going to be really honest. I think Null is really silly. He is so over the top. 
he is very, oh, are you telling me there's a bunch of superheroes for me to kill? God damn it. I'm just going to throw thumbtacks at all of them. Like, he is just very, I, I don't have time for this. I have to take over the world. And then when something hurts him, he's like, how dare you? And he commands, like, space dragons made of dark magic. Like, the guy is a little over the top, right? He He's just too much. But I think that actually works here. One of my problems with Empire, just to keep comparing it to another recent space drama, was that I didn't necessarily find the villains of Empire to be the most likable or believable. Swordsman just seemed crazy. His poor son seemed well off his gourd. And so many of the other heroes felt very removed from the urgent danger. But here, Null is literally flying above New York City, throwing dragons at people. Who does that? I love that. Okay. So I understand that this guy is like a 1980s metal cover, but it's in his ridiculousness. It's in his over the toppery that he is such a terrific villain for me. Does anybody have a strong opinion on Null either way that, yeah, he is that cool because he's ridiculous or no, he is that ridiculous. So he is that ridiculous. Oh my God. Has this ever been done before? Has people thrown dragons at like New York? Like this seems like some really amazingly high stake stuff that we don't see and yes Noel is like absolutely fucking ridiculous but oh my god I love him for it he's space sinister right totally like I could see him going around saying like where's my cape I lost my cape oh. yes <laughs> I <laughs> like that <laughs> how about you guys do you guys feel that Null is capable of sustaining a major crossover event like this well, if he's this powerful in that there's only a limited number of people who can harm his dragons, not even him himself, it's pretty likely that he could succeed. And when I f was first reading it, my first thought was, huh, this is pretty despair-inducing, and this is pretty hopeless. It, it seems like the heroes will have to come up with a very ingenious plan to win. And that's where I found it actually interesting, because in Empire, I never really saw the Kotati as a huge threat. They seemed like they were meant to be larger and better and stronger, but it felt like reading what actually happened, they weren't. They seemed like they were pretty easily defeated, and here with Null... I'm much more interested because he seems so larger than the entire universe that I'm like, oh, okay, he's actually a huge threat. He literally took over New York in, you know, a f matter of a few seconds. It took Magneto three days. So I was <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? He is a threat. And this actually is much more interesting when the stakes actually seem high and empire it never really felt like anybody was in actual danger and it never really felt like that the plan of the kotati was ever going to succeed but here i'm like oh no no might win we might just have to redo the entire universe or go focus on a different one 616 might just be done well, and I think the thing that really put that into perspective for me is they have nullified celestials yeah. Which yeah, oh we've my God. just begun covering the Eternals. We did a Eternals what you need to know to play along sort of special. And since then, we've covered Eternals number one. You know, when I think of Eternals, I think of creatures so big, so powerful, so beyond the scope of our understanding of reality that I think of the fact that they've only been glimpsed 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe up through now. Thanos, guy who wipes out half of existence. We see him every fucking movie, but the Celestials are shown for one second on a tiny little screen because the Celestials are what created the Eternals and the Deviants, of which Thanos is a descendant. So the Celestials are something so big and so horrible that, and I mean, I actually mean awesome. I mean awesome in the actual like technical definition of the word awesome. Like the word awesome actually means something so immensely powerful. It can't be believed. It is full of awe. And, you know, awe is still the same word in shock and awe. It's, you know, it's still like blow shit up and blow your mind. So like, yeah, in all ways that matter, the Celestials are awesome and awful. And Null's got a couple. Like, he's got yarn dolls of them he's just playing with now. Because that's what nullified stuff looks like. It looks like yarn dolls to me. I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with me. But, Maddie, how high does that escalate the stakes for you? You know, this first issue, they it, literally, Null is like, LOL, the Sentry. We've had crossovers where Sentry is the bad guy. You know, and this is... This is one of those moments where, you know, because in the past, you know, my my foray into week-to-week comics was originally derailed by a crossover uh, by way of House of M. So I am, am loving coming back into comic reading and being able to jump back and forth, you know, on different crossovers with the assistance of everybody that contributes to the podcast, you know, for the books that I don't particularly read. You know, our coverage definitely fills in the blanks in a lot of ways. My first exposure to Null was in the pages of, as I reread this morning, Silver Surfer Black. Uh, I know he originally appeared in Venom number three back in 2018. But that said, I haven't seen him, you know, for those who haven't read Silver Surfer Black, spoiler alert, but you're very late. Uh, Null was the the threat at the beginning of existence. He was born into the void. So in some sense, I have been expecting him to come back in, in such a grand fashion. Sure, as mentioned before, he is a little silly. He is a little bit, I have wrapped your entire world in yarn, and yet, oh no, you have felled me once. How dare you, you know? But that said, I have been expecting him to take such a large role and to see this crossover jump right in over the events of one day has been definitely fulfilling on a promise that I was introduced to in the pages of Silver Surfer Black. If I may just point out that now I can't unsee Null as the SNM yarn daddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that that he is SNM yarn daddy and that is absolutely everything I need. Although if I needed something else, I am I, 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 okay, so I don't get this way about a lot of things because, like, I, I, I like very specific Spider Man. My favorite Spider Man run is Spider Man by J. Michael Straczynski, so it's not Spider Man at all. I also really love Mayday Parker, Spider Girl from the MC2 line, who would go on to have over 200 something stories written about her. She is a phenomenal character, and actually, she is the female character with the longest running solo title at Marvel. An alternate universe Spider-Man is the longest running female title at Marvel. Think about that and what that says about our inability to sustain a female-led book for more than 100 issues. So to jump back to the point for a moment, I don't really connect with Spider-Man in a lot of ways. I kind of graze gently in the fields of Spider-Fiefdom. But the idea of Spider-Man putting everything behind him to treat Eddie Brock's son with humility, kindness, and respect, like I that was 
I get it. Okay. That's why you all love Peter Parker. Okay. Yeah. I'm on board because the thing that this story could easily have forgotten is to have humanity. That's the biggest problem with these over the top crossovers. They become a choreographed moment by moment story. That's not what this is giving me. I'm actually getting like, I don't know. I feel like everything Null's doing is based on characterization. It's not just Null is hack and slashing. It's clockwork. He knows what he's doing to break these people. And he tells us that by identifying them. You know, he does have all the powers, so he does seem to be a little bit endlessly psychic. But I really enjoy that this seems to be a crossover about character-driven moments as opposed to just keep breaking the world. How do you guys feel about how much personality and character they're trying to put into these moments? Is it fitting for you, or are you finding there to be a little too much going on in these first 50 pages? You know, I just wanted to point out, speaking of the the amount of character that has been packed into this book, just to look at issue number one for a second. If you're reading along on digital, page 18 of digital showcases the current female uh, Daredevil, Electra Daredevil, in her current costume. This character has only been in publication for less than two months at this point, less by the time that this issue came out several weeks ago at this point of recording. And I think that that is the strongest anchor to me for grounding this book in the current happenings of the Marvel Universe. I think that the crossover of the X-Men, so many characters from the X-Force title, plus the inclusion of Storm, plus the inclusion of Nightcrawler, so some of the Marauders cast, plus the inclusion of Magneto, I think that it was really fantastic in showcasing just how dire the stakes are that the immediate inclusion of street-level heroes, of newly introduced heroes, of well-established heroes, of heroes of a divergent sect of the Marvel Universe, which is what the X-Books seem to be in terms of their interconnectivity, I think it is uh, it is jam-packed with character. And I'm so glad you brought up that the X-Men appear in this. Now, number one, everybody keep referencing Electra Daredevil as much as you want. <laughs> She doesn't have to be in the issue. If you can find someone wearing red and you want to tell me you mistook her for her, that's fine. It could be kind of dark. Grimace going down the alley and you're like, oh, red? Oh, purple. No, it's fine. It's Grimace. It's just Grimace. No big deal. I'm just being mugged by Grimace. But I thought it was Electra for a second and I got excited. Oh, but I'm being mugged by Grimace. So like, however you want to approach this, just please keep working daredevil electra into every conversation but beyond that i love that the x-men are in this oh my god like it's so stupid because they don't fit they don't fit there's no room for them but but all of a sudden storm is like hey guys yarn party and like (laughs) i love it so much and magneto and xavier are like hey guys we're really sorry our reinforcements didn't come, so we can't send you any hero rations and none for the Avengers buy. And Blade, <laughs> Blade has this phenomenal relationship with the X-Men where Blade has fucking hung with the X-Men too many times to count at this point. He was a member of the X-Men anti-vamp squad. He was a member of Captain Britain's MI-13. So Blade being the guy to talk to the X-Men, that actually 
actually has like that has super credibility for me. That tells me, you know what, these people respect classic X stories, and that actually worked for me really well. I don't know why, but oh my god, that scene too. It continues the whole like Eric and Charles, like the old gay couple together kind of vibe. I can't stop seeing them as like an elderly gay couple. Like I know they're not physically intimate, but it's so there textually. Ah. Now, how do you guys feel? I mean, Storm has that phenomenal I am the Thor moment in issue one, which, you know, she needs to scream I am Aurora to the tune of I am Moana way more often. But she has that moment where she's the lightning princess. And then we have, you know, we have the X-Men in the fight. And Charles even be like, we sent you some of our best fighters. What do you want from us? Right. And I do wonder, to Maddie's point about currents and accuracy, I wonder if that means Storm is going to be on the X-Men squad that's going to be voted on. I wonder if these X-Men are maybe the at the end of King and Black current team as opposed to the beginning of King and Black current team. Right? Because the X-Men are about to have a big election. Wasn't the rules of the X-Men election that nobody on the Quiet Council could be uh, appointed to the X-Men team? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, unfortunately. Well, no, but that leaves me wondering, how much are we about to see a shakeup? Oh, oh yeah. That's Because, I mean, Jean was on the Quiet Council and now she's not. Right. So... It wouldn't be too far out of my, and uh, with Nightcrawler about to get his own title, it wouldn't be too far out of my belief that we're going to see a pretty big shakeup to the Quiet Council. How do you guys feel about where that puts the X-Men in this story and their bigger picture as a team outside of King of Black? King of Black. Have a good night, ladies and gentlemen. It has been terrific being a human being these last few years. I've enjoyed it very much, but they're about to power off my software. I got to go. I <laughs> I think uh, I think to Nico's credit, I think the possibility for a shakeup in the Quiet Council could actually lead to some more lasting and grounded, developed stability within the Quiet Council and their defined roles, because we have the the Spring Court now. Uh, the Spring Court comprised of the Hellfire Trading Club, which represents the mutant currency. Of course, we have the Autumn Council, which is Professor X Magneto and a currently undefined role, but they definitely are the the core governmental, you know, top tier of the council. We have the Winter Council, which is comprised primarily of reformed villains with different ideological views. If you pose mystique and exodus against one another and sinister way in left field, they all represent a different part of the reformed villain psyche. So I think to leave the Summer Council open for the possibility of Nightcrawler to employ those who represent his upcoming religious uh, incarnation of the Way of X, I think that would really round out the the ideological sense of what the Quiet Council can represent. Seeing the X-Men in this book was a really a little bit refreshing because in the X-Books over overall on Krakoa and Arako in Otherworld, they seem to be going every other place but actual Earth that's not Krakoa. So it was really nice to see the X-Men be like, okay, fine, I guess we do have to kind of care about everybody else too. We can't just care about ourselves. So them going over and being like, we're going to try to help, but only one of us can actually do damage. And then she was, you know, swallowed up. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised by that. And then the bickering couple of domestic partners. I want to call them domestic partners because they're definitely... uh, 
that's what they would be. That's what they are at this point. Uh, Charles it's a and little Magneto. Bit more, yeah, it's a little bit more yeah. Denny Crane and Alan Shore at the end of Boston Legal than it is Nathan Lane and Robin Williams in the Birdcage. So yeah, I get it. It's a little bit more elderly, retired, gay statesmen living together than it is Lacage. Perfect. I'm with you. <laughs> oh, but I would love an X-Men Lacage. I'm really interested to see the aftermath of this book affect the X titles. We didn't really see what happened with the aftermath of Empire because there wasn't a lot of aftermath that affected Krakoa, mostly along the lines of Wanda still not allowed on Krakoa, and that's about it. I'm really interested because this directly affects the X-Men and as well as the threat threatens Krakoa. I will be really interested to see how the X-Team will be able to incorporate what happened here into their books and how that will affect it. It is amazing to me to see the X-Men take a central role in a Marvel Comics crossover event. I mean, they're not like the core core, but they're a central piece of it. Like Storm was the big canon in the first issue. Um, it, it seems like they're finally over the whole marketing mess that was the uh, movie franchise. So yes, I'm so excited about that. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do in titles like Sword, who is obviously going to be a lot more connected to this because it's uh, from a threat from outer space. And I, I love that that we can bridge over Abigail Girl Brands leaving off a flight from Empire and kind of bring it over into the uh, King of Black. We're going to actually see the X-Men get a little bit more heavily involved in King and Black going forward. There's a few major things coming up, aside the fact that major mutants in the Marvel Universe have gotten involved, not just X-Men mutants, but mutants like Namor, directly involved in King and Black. I loved his little, his little <laughs> shitty shimmy shake where he's like, we've been fighting in the cold and dark forever, y'all all guys keep losing like i loved that don't know why that did it for me but very about it we're gonna see the x-men continue to get involved in the form of aurora getting involved in the upcoming king and black black panther one shot as well as we're getting a three issue miniseries king and black marauders so it kind of does seem like the x-men and mutant even the mutants in the pages of the union this is a big, big crossover for mutants to get reintegrated into the Marvel Universe proper. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm nervous and excited about X-Men Marauders. It just feels like Marauders has so barely gotten its feet back. Now, that could go one of two ways. It could either be, yeah, this is their chance to get an extra Marauder stories. So we feel a little bit more sure of what's going on with that team. But of course, the other balance is, what if this is a little too manic, a little too messy all over the place? How do you guys feel about the possibility of further X-Men inclusion like Storm, Kate, and Emma into the pages of King and Black? Uh, for me, I'm I'm looking forward to it, actually. Uh, I, I felt like the mutants had become so separated from the rest of earth that they were kind of risking taking on that inhumans feeling where they weren't really a part of everybody else and moving moving them into a worldwide event like this 
and having that new X-Men group that's that's going to be voted into place in the future, I think that it's it's going to bring about a bigger unity for everybody. And that's that's what I've been hoping for for a little while. I can't wait to see the Marauders mini because it'll be great to see them actually see if it's going to be along the lines of their actual mission, if they're rescuing these mutants that are trapped in a nullified world, if like the whole thing is going to be null and void, you know, like who knows? Like I just uh, I can't wait to see, can't wait to see Captain Kate like in her pirates, like with her sword fighting some dragons. Oh, oh, Nico, um, going back to your your statement saying that Marauders was feeling like it just got its feet back. Can we, can we say that they're getting it their sea legs back? Ooh. Oh, we sure can. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing: when you have a pun ready. You just pun it, okay? I, I just thought of it, so. Well, you make that pun when you're ready. Okay. <laughs> no, you're going to have to walk the plank. Oh, no. Oh, yes. You got me hooked. Oh. So, I'm going to keep one eye out on you. So, um, peg hey. me. Oh, no. Peg me? Oh, I was going to make a peg joke. <laughs> no. Maddie, you said that a crossover is what chased you off of reading regularly some time ago. And now I'm like, hey, we're in the thick of this crossover world and the X-Men getting to be a part of this crossover for the first time in some decade has me really excited. How do you feel knowing that the X-Men are about to triple their involvement in King and Black? I, having just come out of covering Ten of Swords in its 22-part entirety, I am a little bit relieved that despite tripling down on their involvement in King and Black, it is still not spanning nearly as many titles as my most recent crossover, our most recent crossover did. So that said, I'm not particularly concerned about the upcoming involvement. If anything, this is a breath of fresh air for me. If there's one thing I would have liked to have seen, maybe, I, knowing of course that the entire world has been nullified, I think a look at what the vibrancy of Krakoa under a symbiote sky looks like, I think that's something that would be a really cool backdrop for anything, but I'm not begging i'm just saying by rb silva please by rb silva please uh if i could and and just because i just reread it this morning i actually in another room just pawned off silver surfer black on a friend of mine and was just like here go read this um i i would love to see what a combination of work between rb silva and Tradmore would look like i have been such a Tradmore stand since the first luther strode so you cannot convince me you cannot possibly convince me more. That is brilliant, and I need to see it. That is so dead on. 